Welcome to Faithful Innovation. I'm Tina Jason. I love learning about the way God's love motivates how people serve the world. Hearing authentic personal stories deepens my understanding of how God transforms regular work and everyday encounters into acts of grace. Join me as I seek out ordinary people in cities, suburbs, small towns, and rural places who are doing extraordinary things. The goal? To inspire a wholesome expression of faith in your life, ministry, or business. Hello and welcome to the Faithful Innovation Podcast. Today I have with me Debbie Ellinger and Debbie and I met through an organization called 5-2 and I just was really inspired by what she's doing. Debbie was a police officer for six years and spent one of those years in the sex crimes unit focusing on children. She's been married to Jake for 20 years and has three girls and one boy. So Debbie, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Tina. To get started, I wondered if you could just briefly share about your faith background growing up. Sure, yeah. Um, So I feel like I was really blessed as a a child. I went to Lutheran school until eighth grade, um, and then I went to Catholic church on Sundays with my grandma. So my grandma was my um, kind of my faith-based role model throughout my um, childhood. Um, Then I went away to college. I kind of walked away from my faith for a little bit. I kind of did my own thing. Um, Once I got done with college, came back home, and I could really feel God was just tugging at me to start making some changes in my life. And so I would say when I got out of college and got a job as a police officer, my faith really started to grow with God at that time. Maybe give us some background just of that time as a police officer and Of course, you can look back now and see how it threads together, but just talk about that time and how God was working in in you. Yeah, um, I I totally look back to that time, and um, I just, I loved my job. I loved what I did, but I never felt like that was my final destination. Like, I never felt that was going to be my lifelong career, but I really wasn't sure why. Um, I had no intention of ever getting married or having kids. I really thought I would be a career woman, but I didn't know what that looked like or or where that would be. Um, So when I got hired at the police department, I was the third female to ever be hired there. Um, I was the first female to ever get pregnant there. So I created their maternity plan while I was there. Um, So there was a lot of challenges. Um, I taught D.A.R.E. So I was in the schools teaching kids, but probably the um, darkest, but yet probably one of the best times God was preparing me for what I'm doing now was when I spent a year in sex crimes. Um, It was like, it was challenging. It was dark, but I can really see now how God was preparing me for something bigger and better. Mm -hmm. So talk about what you're doing now and how that all threads together back to that time. Yeah. So um, what we do now is um, we purchased a house and our goal is to open this house and shelter up to six girls um, ages 11 to 17 that um, have been sex trafficked and are homeless. So we are in the process of renovating that house in order to house girls. Until that time, we have street ministry outreach teams um, where we go to the streets of Detroit, find girls and women of all ages. We run into young girls and um, teenagers and uh, upper 20s and 30-year-old women and even some 40-year-old women that we minister to on the street by um, praying with them. We give them hygiene kits and we give them food. Um, And then we've even been able to take them to detox centers um, in order to detox off of heroin or crack. Most of them are addicted to something. Mm -hmm. Had you been doing street outreach for some time? 
So we've been doing it since February. Um, I've been working in Detroit for quite some time with some families on Sunday and and, on a Sunday at a a church for a Sunday program. Um, And so the idea came when one of our girls ran away, a girl named Desiree ran away. She has been gone for four days. She's 15 and she'd been gone for four days. And one in three girls will be approached by a pimp when they leave their house. And so fourth day came, her mom reported her missing on the fourth day. When we were able to finally get a hold of her, she had contacted me and she was just telling me about all these girls, all these girls that were running away, all these girls that were on the streets. It was very common. The girls at her school were always running away and um, there's just so much conflict and turmoil. So her and I sat down and talk through what would be a solution to not running away again in the future. And so that's kind of how the idea originated. Mm. The girls that you're serving in the house are girls that have run away? Um, Some of them will be um, runaways. Some of the girls that we will encounter will come from um, foster care Mm -hmm. or uh, CPS. They've been removed from their home. But most, um, most girls, like 80% of girls are homeless that are being trafficked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when the girls come to the house, what will happen there? Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll come in and we will give them and we'll go through an intake procedure. We have a series of questions that are used to determine if they're being trafficked or if they're just living a homeless life. We take both. So but we wanna know the kind of care that we can give them. So we will go through a very detailed intake process. um, And then we basically become their foster care family. We're a foster group home is what we'll be considered. So then we take them and just journey through all their therapy, all their doctor's appointments. We try to get them enrolled in school if they're not enrolled in school, um, get them graduated from school, get them life skills. Most of these girls can't even boil water. Most of these girls don't know how to write a letter or put a stamp on an envelope. And so um, we will kind of navigate that process with them. And so that's why we started out with six girls. So we can do six girls with excellence and six girls really, really well, and then see how long that takes. Cause we really, really don't know how long that's going to take. Each person will be mm-hmm. different. Each girl is going to get her own caseworker. Um, which will develop a plan for them, um, goals for them, plans for them. What do they want to do? What are Mm -hmm. their dreams and aspirations? And then how can we help you achieve that? Mm, What a gift. (laughs) I'm just thinking, what a gift. Thanks. As this idea started to come about, what'd you do to take a first step? Yeah, so I felt like I had been journaling about these ideas of things I wanted to do in the city for so long but never really communicated them with anybody, never really talked with them other than with my husband. So it just seemed like I could never do this on my own. It seemed almost impossible. They were all great dreams, but I thought, well, if I can't do them, I'll find out, find somebody else that is doing them and kind of tag along with them. So I ended up actually getting the courage to communicate my idea with my pastor at my church And he loved the idea and really gave me some huge encouragement, which I needed to go to the next step, which was to participate in 5-2. Had he not encouraged me, I still laugh to this day because the day, but the night before the three-day conference, I called him and I called Bill and I said, I can't do it. I'm not coming. It was the night before. And they both were like, you're crazy. You have to come. And I said, I'm so freaked out about this right now. I don't think I can do it. 
And um, they both convinced me to come. And so even that very first day of the three-day conference, I think I still really was unsure if I could really, really do, do this. I'm listening. And I, we were talking before we started recording. And I, I said to Deb, I have a philosophy of just do it afraid. And, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes, I mean, that's really an example of that. And yet you can't do it by yourself. You know, it is, it is kind of this team that comes around to make it happen. Just talk about who's come around you. I probably should add in 5-2 is a a ministry incubator journey, really, over a a couple of years where the 5-2 folks come around people starting new ministries and help them develop a plan, pair them with coaches and then really walk over two years of time to help that develop and get started in a really strong way. Mm-hmm. Talk about the people that have come around you and, and how you're getting supported in, in what you're doing. Yeah, so um, lots. my church is extremely supportive, so I'm very, very blessed to have that. Um, so my church immediately, our leadership team, all of our pastors, they all really kind of came around and said whatever they could do to help, they would do. So the first thing they started doing was just kind of putting out there the idea that, that I had, the vision that I had, and started telling more people. We started printing it in the bulletin, things like that. Next thing I knew, I had more and more people kind of supporting the idea, which initially is really what I needed. I just needed the encouragement that, hey, this is a great idea. You can do it. Um, So I had a lot of people doing that. Um, And then I just started to really look for people who were um, passionate. I love to say obsessed about Jesus and obsessed about helping people living in poverty, helping people that nobody else wanted anything to do with. And so I found a few of those people. Some of them um, go to my church and some of them don't, but they all had special gifts and skills that they could share. So a girlfriend of mine who's a nurse and they just all were really passionate about what we were doing. And we all really were just kind of winging it and we were all okay with that. One of the things I'm working on locally here that one of the people on our team said to me, I think we're a group of really big risk takers. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what we are. (laughs) So what, what do you feel like you're learning in the process of getting things started? Well, I'm learning that mistakes are okay. I did not grow up that way. I did not grow up in a grace-based home. I'm all about grace-based living now. Um, so I, I can give grace, but I can't give it to myself. So I've learned that I'm going to make mistakes and that's okay. Cause those mistakes, um, may start out as failures, but then those failures turn into great learning experiences that are actually, um, things that help your project grow and do well. And so I'm learning to be okay with that. I'm learning to be okay with, I'm going to make mistakes. I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to take risks to make mistakes in order to make something better. Yeah. So in those, you know, that learning journey of mistakes, what, what are some adjustments you've made along the way from that original vision that now maybe has taken a different shape? Yeah. Um, well, I've really learned to just be patient in God's timing for, first of all, not trying to push things on the time frame I've developed. You know, we developed a time frame. We always like to have a time frame of goals that we're trying to work towards. But the truth is that it may not happen and that's okay. Um, that's okay if the time frame doesn't happen. It wasn't God's planning. An example would be uh, when we were trying to find a house. We had been looking and looking and searching 
and we would put offers in. Our offers were never accepted. We were, um, we'd go to put an offer in and the house was already sold or, I mean, just crazy things. And I thought, we just are never going to find a house. And so instead of being discouraged about that, we started to have the mentality that, um, well, we're just going to stop looking right now. And when God provide something, then we'll just go with that. And so we all just really learn to be patient and not feel pressure from people when they're like, did you get a house yet? Did you get a house yet? And we're like, no, not yet. We're just going to be patient. So I think that's the biggest thing I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I was chatting with someone this morning and he was saying um, he's learning to live in discovery and not in expectations. Oh, that's good. I thought that was really a powerful statement. Very powerful. That's great. Yeah. So it sounds like that's, uh, that's one of the things of just being patient in the times you've been discouraged. What keeps you moving forward in those times? Well, I, I definitely know that, I guess, knowing that God has called me to do it keeps me moving forward. Um, but I feel like when we, we do street outreach, we do it three days a week. So I'm down in the city every other day. That really keeps me motivated. Like I see what's out there. I see how these girls are living. I'm in the thick of it three days out of the week. Um, I can't give up. Like I can't stop now because they're counting on it. They're counting for something. And if, if it's not for them, it's for somebody that they know or someone that they associate with. And so um, that really keeps me motivated when we were having some down times about the house and just sometimes you get discouraged because you think you can't do it. I just always go back to those girls' faces that um, they're really counting on it. I'm thinking about that consistency of showing up and at the same time knowing you can't do it for them. Right. And just having tracked with you on social media, I see that play out to where, you know, the consistency of showing up and uh, maybe somebody who's reluctant to share in the beginning, but you keep showing up and that trust builds mm-hmm. and that relationships develop at the speed of trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've had girls say, you know, we, we never thought you would keep coming back, but you keep coming back. And I said, well, you know, cause we're invested in this and you're important and you're worthy of coming back all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start to believe that now. And it's interesting because we've started to see new girls here and there. And so they don't trust us yet. So the, the regular girls that are out there are trying to tell them, go talk to them. Um, but the new girls haven't built that trust yet. So mm-hmm. we can really see how the trust does play a major, major role in what we do down there. Yeah. I'm sure the people that you're touching are learning something from you. And yet it flows two ways. What are some things you're learning from these girls? Well, one thing that I just, God keeps convicting me about um, is that they'll always say to us, you're such a blessing to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I started to say to them, like, I really hope you know that like you bless us. Like I truly consider it a privilege to go down there and minister to them. And so the first thing I ask people before they even get in the car you know, if you get out of this car today and you did not think it was a privilege for you, don't go down there thinking, I'm going down there to do good works today and, I, and I'm doing something good because really it is a privilege. It is an honor for us to go down there and talk to women that nobody else wants to talk to. And I've learned that they love that. And that to me is priceless. And so when we go down there with a non-judgmental attitude and a thought that 
it is a privilege for us. And we pray that with them. It is a blessing to us. It is a privilege for us to be here with you and to love you right where you're at, just like Jesus loves us right where we're at. Because the truth Mm -hmm. is we all have a sin problem. Their sin is just more obvious and evident to the world than ours. Ours is much more hidden here in the suburbs, right? And so out there, their sin is exposed for everybody to judge, for everybody to make a comment about, and that's that's their life. And so I just am always reminded that I have a sin problem. They have a sin problem. Theirs is just more open and obvious for everybody to see. Yeah, I so track with you there. Uh, one of the things I say is we all come broken. We just come broken in different ways. Yeah, so true. So true. What are you learning about God in this journey? Oh, I'm learning to be more obsessed with him. I'm learning that um, I love to read Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, and I keep it with me because it's just a reminder that even though what I'm doing is sometimes considered crazy, especially to my family and my upbringing, this is this is not anything anybody in my family would, they think I've completely lost my mind. And so I'm learning that that's okay too. Like, be okay with what people think and you're not going to please everybody, but following what God tells me to do is not always the popular thing to do. And that's okay. And I'm going to learn to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like too, just that faithfulness of provision that in the right time, the right thing will come along, whether it's people who've come around you, the provision for a house, the leadership to help put it all together, you know, that that provision, it does come and it doesn't always come in the timing or in the way we expect it, but yet it does come. Right, right. Mm -hmm. What are you learning about yourself? (laughs) Well, I'm learning to have more confidence in myself. I have never had a lot of confidence in the things that I've done. Um, But I'm learning that God is giving me that confidence and um, that I have it. Like he's given it to me. It's a gift he's given to me. And um, I'm also learning to just, I have to completely depend on him. And I, I'm learning that in my own personal life. And then I'm learning that in, in the world of serving too, in my ministry. And so I cannot go a day without spending time with him because I am completely lost. And I would say I've, I've, and as an adult, I've loved spending time with God and being obsessed with God, but nothing like I am now because it's just, I'm so dependent on him. It is. It's this dependency when you're pouring out, you can't give that what you don't have. And I think when we take that posture of dependency and humility, uh, we can posture ourselves in that way in front of other people too. And it really invites them to do the same. And I think, you know, for those watching who may not understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, it just provides such an example and plants those seeds of possibility. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. What are some of the current struggles you feel like you're, you're working through? Well, I'm still working on my confidence, I guess, not getting down and feeling like, um, you know, sometimes you kind of get in a funk and you think maybe I can't do it. Or, you know, some days on outreach are, are dark. They can be dark. And, and there's a lot of days that are, I see God's light, you know, I mean, and it's beautiful, but there's a lot of dark days. And so trying to um, balance that, leave that out there, not bring that home, not, I cannot fix anybody. 
God is using me, but God is doing all the fixing. And so I don't want to carry that burden. And so I'm really trying to work that I, I cannot do the things for them. They have to make their own decisions. Like you had said earlier, they have to um, make the decisions to want to get better, to leave the street. And God is working in that. God is going to work in their hearts. And that's what, it's one, another thing we pray with them about, you know, that God will continue to work in their hearts to get them in, out of the situation and they would respond to that. Um, and so I have to work really hard at not bringing that home and not thinking about that when I leave down there um, because it's not my burden. I just need to give it to God. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering just what, what are some of your disciplines and practices that keep you in that space? Yeah. Um, so I, I try to, I tr- when I'm driving home from there, I really try to spend time communicating with our outreach team that's in the car so we can talk through everything before we get home. And then really when we get home, I really try not to talk about it or, or talk about it with my family or anything until, um, the next day, maybe, or a couple days. I really do try to communicate on our way home, talk, pray through what we need to figure out has to happen next time, and then just leave it there. And that's what I did when I was a police officer. You know, when I was at work, I would have to just leave that stuff there and not come home with it. Um, And it is just training your brain to do that. I just, it is just training your brain to leave it there and leave it at the doorstep and transition into, you know, your family life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. As you were talking, I was thinking, so often I see these threads of how the things we've done before, how perfectly that's prepared us for what God calls us to do now, and how that training as a police officer just so beautifully dovetails in what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. How about those who have been coming with you on outreach? What do you see shaping in them? Oh, so many really cool things. Um, one woman that comes to mind has really never left our little suburban area. You know, this is where she's been most of her life with her family. And she had an interest in going and she really didn't know what that looked like. She didn't know if it would be long term or short term, but I said, well, come give it a try and see. And she is my most committed, faithful servant. She goes every week, every day we can. And to watch her grow in being non-judgmental and loving them week after week. And she even said to me, I didn't even know I had it in my heart to be like that. And I said, well, God clearly knew you had it in your heart to be like that. But she said, yeah, I just never thought I could give somebody living on the street so much sympathy and empathy. And she does, and she does it well. And so to see that is just is beautiful to me. Yeah, and when it becomes not just an issue that you have an opinion about, but a person in front of you with a name and a face and a heart, and you hear their story, it's, it's totally different than something that you have no real knowledge about and yet formed an opinion upon. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What would you say for the people you're going to serve, just thinking about what it takes to reach them? In some ways, the challenges of it, and yet on the other side, maybe the simplicity of it. Yeah, um, I think one thing that I really try to hit home with people about in, is to learn the culture, like um, know the culture, study the culture, but don't become the culture. Because down there, you really do have to understand their life, 
their, the way they live. It is like being in a different country. Literally their life is like being in a different country compared to how we live our life here. And so um, I always tell people, educate yourself, do some research, learn, learn these lingos, the words that they use, how they talk, how they respond to things, why they respond that way. Cause all of it just doesn't make sense to us. Once you start educating yourself and learning about their culture, but don't become in their culture, because I can see that happening at times with people that maybe are not comfortable being down there. So the easiest thing for them to do is to really start interacting with them as their own kind of peers or, or friends. And that's not, that's not a good way to go either, but, but really learning about the culture. And so I really encourage our street outreach workers to do that, to learn about who they are and, and what they do and why they do it. Are you sheltering girls now? No, not yet. So we are in the process of renovating our home. We've started the process already. We are hoping to be open by spring. And long as we have the continued funding to come in, we have the people to work. So as long as the funding continues to come in, we should be able to be open by spring. What kind of staffing, what does that look like inside of the house once, once you're sheltering girls? Yeah, so um, we will have a house mother that will be around the clock. Um, that will be a paid position. Um, different women, we've already been talking to some women that have expressed an interest in doing it, would work eight-hour shifts. So there would be someone there um, around the clock. Our midnight person would not be able to sleep, so it would be like a normal midnight shift. Um, we would also have on-site therapists and doctors. We have um, already have some physicians interested in helping us, so that would that's going to be a huge help for us. And then we will have um, ass people assisting our, our our mothers during the day. So the midnight shift would be a mom by herself. The afternoon and day shift would have an assistant, and then we'll have intake people. Our intake people um, will also be a paid position. And some will be on call and some will be at the house during, during the day. Hmm. What range of time would you imagine the girls would spend with you? What couldn't you anticipate? I, I mean, I would say at the very minimum, two years. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really, um, for a girl who has been trafficked, um, most of the time, like I said earlier, they really have no life skills at all. So all the little things we take for granted um, even, you know, the women on the streets we talk to now, there's so many things they just don't know. Um, and so now, you know, add that they're younger, they haven't finished school, maybe haven't been in school, um, don't know how to bond with anybody, don't know how to love anybody in a, in a healthy way. Um, so I, I think it, at the minimum two years, it could be long as four or five. Mm -hmm. How's your funding? Where's your funding coming from? So um, our first part of our funding has come from the Lutheran Missouri Synod. Um, so part of it has come from that. Right now, the rest is just coming from donations. We have been very, very blessed by um, monthly donors from our church. We're looking for grants. We just have not found grants that we can apply for yet that are relevant to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about all the pieces coming together in just this beautiful way as it's as it's taking shape. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about a, a, another gal that I knew that had a, a ministry where they called it Buckets of Love, and they Aww. just went in and, you know, painted and, like, 
dressed up the the rooms and all those mm-hmm. kind of things, almost like a, a housewarming gift. But yeah. they they did that in shelters, you know, where they would do special That's things. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, <laughs> I've been in contact with some youth groups already that want to take on a room and give it its own you know, theme and its own look and its own feel. So um, different youth groups will be responsible for different rooms and um, they would purchase like the bedding and the paint and, you know, just to make it what they would want to make it. And then they're responsible for any maintenance on it too. Mm. Well, that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. If you could give a word of encouragement to somebody who's feeling that nudge from God, so thinking back, you know, some some time ago and feeling timid about it, what encouragement would you give? I think I would say um, courage. Just have the courage because if the somebody something somebody could say to you is that's a really awful idea and that's not the end of the world, and the best thing somebody could say is I love it, let's do it. So really, you have nothing to lose other than your feelings might get a little hurt or your heart might be hurt. And just because one person tells you it can't work does not mean that it's not a feasible plan. And so I would just tell people to have courage. No, just take a step, a leap of faith and just tell someone about your idea. And you might be surprised at what God will do with that. Yeah, th- those are beautiful words. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, um, how would you, how could they reach you? Yeah, so um, you can reach me by email. Our email is Ellie's House three one three, E L L I S House three one three at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ellie's House three one three. Wonderful. So when I publish this, that'll all be in the show notes with the links so people can find you. Great. Yeah. Debbie, thanks so much. Thank you, Tina, so much. I love getting to talk to you. You're just awesome to talk to. (laughs) It's always amazing to see how God brings forth healing out of the hard and dark places of our lives. It was such a privilege to speak with Debbie. A single event became the catalyst for Ellie's house, And you can just hear Debbie's compassion and love coming through for the girls who are trapped in the darkness of addiction and sex trafficking. Debbie talked about journaling her ideas that had been in her heart and mind for a long time, but not really sharing them with others. Then, once she did, God provided a support system and all that was necessary to bring those very ideas to life. Maybe you have an idea that's been swirling in your mind for a while and need a safe place to share it with someone. My hope is that we can engage in some dialogue as a result of these episodes. I invite you to join us in the Faithful Innovation private Facebook group, where each week I'll be asking a question for us to ponder. It's a place where you can jump into the conversation, find encouragement, and hear from others who are also on the journey as we share the ways God is faithfully innovating our lives. The question we'll ask this week is, what experiences in your past might God want to use to bring about healing for others and a way out of their darkness? All the resources mentioned in this episode can be found at faithfulinnovation.com. Just enter Debbie in the search and it will come right up. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher. Make it a great week and find your unique way to share the love of God with the people you encounter. Bye for now.